The real key is that we pay teenagers to participate. We had a lovely piece of insight that the pool of teenagers who see themselves as entrepreneurs is tiny compared to the pool of teenagers who want cash. Right. Super simple. <laughs> yep. Turns out teenagers want cash. And what we found is as soon as we engage teenagers in those paid work experience programs, a few things happen. One is it drives diversity into the pipeline of teenagers who are participating. And the second thing is that then when they discover this work, they love it. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, Today I am joined by one of the founding Sherpas of uh, Startup Sherpas. Welcome to the show, Hugo Pitford-Bordle. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely to be here. Absolutely great to have you on board and we were having a fantastic chat earlier on. Loads of interesting stuff I'm sure we're going to get to cover off. Uh, But the first question I'd like to ask everyone is uh, a bit more about your background. What got you to where you are today? What have you done to get yourself to this point? So I I now teach teenagers how to do startups and innovation and I suppose how to bring their ideas to life. Um, That journey for me started when I was six years old on a golf course just outside Worcester where I was selling potpourri that I'd made uh, because I had a field of flowers. I had a tiny bit of customer insight. Uh, someone said they needed to apologize when they got home. So I put two and two together and came up with pot brief golfers. Right. <laughs> bit random. Yeah. Uh, I think I sold two pots and made about a quid. Uh, and I've done a lot of startups since then. Right. I've done things from starting an airline through to selling fresh truffles to chefs through to doing social media companies and innovation consultancies. And I've, I guess, developed enough ways to fail. So I like to say now I've got a PhD in failure. Um, and that's my main cred for what I do now. Um, I've also had one foot in that world of corporate innovation to go along on the side of the startup world. Right. And so it gives us a, or gives me a, a sense of the view to be able to help teenagers guide them towards a career path that they're going to find really fulfilling, whether that's as an entrepreneur or whether that is in an organization helping to make the change that we need. Wow. And I know you've been involved in some amazing tech innovations and tech startups and things like that. You, you, I know Vogue and, and the, the Times. You tell us a bit more about some of those. Yeah, so I was lucky that actually I was around working on new product development just as the iPad and kind of mobiles were coming out. And so I ended up creating the Times iPad app, which I think I'd actually worked at Late Rooms previously, which is probably the first place I saw people really using the thing that I'd been working on developing. Right. And certainly at the Times, when we started taking a newspaper and having to form it into a beautiful edition, I was able to go and actually see the excellence of the newsroom. That's kind of like a completely different experience. It was just truly amazing. I remember I'd moved from Expedia um, through to the Times. Mm. And one of the bugs that came through on the Times iPad app was that the kerning was off on the font. 
Okay. That's the space between stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of the, the way the letter is looking on the page. Right. And it's a very detailed design aspect. Hmm. And I put it down as a P5. I mean, let's face it, I come from Expedia where whether the text is like at an angle of 0.1 degree that way is not going to affect your sales. And I had the design director of the Times come down and give me a two-hour masterclass on that being the home of the Times New Roman font. Right. But the font in the product was the product. Mm. And uh, I, I made it a P1 because his argument was absolutely brilliant and right. realised that we were kind of actually creating this piece of art. And um, I think I've been lucky that in some of those projects, getting to work, you know, getting to work on an iconic brand like Vogue to take it into the B2B space and... Mm kind of create their first business product for fashion professionals globally. It was just a very, very exciting opportunity to, to also go and understand yet another industry and kind of see the dynamics of it and see an industry like fashion where it's so linked into our consumer behaviours, our sense of identity, and actually has a lot of issues that we need to fix and, as a society in terms of actually how we engage with the world, which kind of links back to why we're doing this now. Right. Oh, wonderful. And a um, couple of sort of deeper dive questions on, on two bits of that, really. One is, as a six-year-old, what got you motivated to, to take that? Uh, uh, you know, you, you saw the problem, you saw some solution, you put that together. Um, not all six-year-olds do that. I know <laughs> not all nine-year-olds, uh, not saying anything about my son, but uh, and other ages would do that. So what drove you to um, uh, to make that move from I've heard there's a problem to I'm going to try something out? Well, so I think one was a very extrinsic motivation, which I didn't have any pocket money. Right. <laughs> so there was definitely an aspect that, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a single-parent family um, and had to... Um, try and find ways to kind of get what I wanted. So I think there was certainly a kind of drive there. But I also think of entrepreneurship that I have almost more as a condition or sometimes a disease, depending on my mood. Yeah. Um, because I can't help myself. That's the that's the way my brain works. Uh, it's quite interesting, actually, that since uh, the work that we're now doing with teenagers, I've been... Uh, reading a lot more about neurodiverse conditions because our, our program supports lots of students with neurodiverse conditions. Hmm. And as I was reading about ADHD, I kept just thinking, you know, why do they keep trying to like explain how my brain works? <laughs> Took me a lot longer than it should have done to go, hmm, you know what, that might just be the way my brain works. Hmm. And then realizing that actually um, probably a lot of entrepreneurialism is linked to sort of linking things together in that way, mm. um, just as a kind of natural uh, thinking style is probably one of the things I see. Yeah. I was, uh, I was talking to my wife about this topic the other day, and um, she's been reading an article about um, the, uh, I guess, the evolutionary element of neurodiversity. In, and a wonderful term came the sort of hunters and gatherers. Hunters aren't very good at gathering. Gatherers aren't very good at hunting, and they shouldn't be because they, as we've evolved as a, as a species, we've needed people to be there and focused and really detailed and patient to grow these things we're, that, that we're gathering and sow the seeds and nurture the conditions. And we need the hunters to go off by themselves and and look for the uh, for the food that's out there and, and do all the work themselves and bring it back. You know, so we've actually evolved as a species in terms of very diverse 
uh, elements to it. And you sh yeah, it, it's no wonder that we've got such wonderful diversity in our thinking and how we use that to the betterment of not only ourselves, but uh, the people around us is, uh, is a wonderful thing. Couldn't agree more. And actually, our view on diversity um, is, is almost that it's secondary or rather that it's embedded into what we do so much at the core mm. that we don't think of it as a secondary subject. Right. Uh, because for us, what, we, what we're trying to create is the best process when we're doing innovation projects of how do you get as many diverse ideas as possible? Now, our answer to that is get 100 diverse people coming up with all of those questions and send them through a process to each of them's creating their own diverse set of ideas, right. then you'll have an enormous set of diverse ideas. And mm. so it's it's a core part of what we believe an innovation best practice should be. Mm. Because exactly as you described is that those different people will just come at it from totally different angles. And I mean, it's been fascinating seeing the results of that because on all the projects that we worked on, we found that the teenagers that we do, do get in those diverse groups come up with ideas that have been missed either by industries or organizations. Yep because they've actually got that completely different viewpoint, um, because both the way their brain works, their history, their background, their influences, their understanding of what's actually being asked, um, all comes together to, you know, I imagine it like a mycelium mushroom just going off in all the different directions until it kind of finds new white space. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, maybe that's tied in because I've written down a, a big word here that you mentioned and it, it does tie into what you're saying here as well. It's, it's failure. What, you mentioned having this PhD in failure. What, what's your general view on failure? Well, we have a podcast that people can listen to called Fantastic Failures, which might give a clue to our view on it. Um, really, for, for me as an entrepreneur, as I mentioned, I've failed everywhere it's possible to. The reason we're called Startup Sherpas is the idea of taking a startup journey is walking up a mountain that just gets steeper. Right. With all of the dangers of being on the mountain, the cliffs and the things that are going to, to hurt you along the way. And really, it's actually hugely important not to teach our children to fail, but actually to teach them to quit. Right. So on our programs, we teach our Sherpies, as we call them, the teenagers who are doing their startups to quit every two weeks. So the default at the end of every two week cycle is that they quit and they have to have a quitting party like they just won the lottery. So and they have to actually justify carrying on if they want to. Right. So what that does is it changes that default behavior to quitting and yeah. quitting is different to failing. Failing happens to you. Quitting is a choice that you've made. It's an active decision. And so you can take ownership of it. And one of the things we see in the startup community is that we accept a few things I think are ridiculous. We accept a 95% failure rate. And we accept a mental health crisis in startup right. community members because it's very easy to get so attached to your idea that when it fails, mm. you feel like a failure. Right. And so we want to try and flip the script on that and actually say, you're going to learn to actually quit every two weeks and so you'll also learn to then go back and fall in love with the problem not your solution so that you can explore different ways of solving that problem mm. and that has to link to to really what your life's purpose is like what is your personal problem not just a problem that you found but the problem that you are the person to solve the reason why i'm doing startup sherpas is because i failed everywhere it's possible to fail 
I can tell you firsthand how painful it is to look bankruptcy right in the face. Right. And I was very lucky that I didn't actually cross the line. I can tell you how hard it is when you almost lose your family because of a startup decision you've made. Right. So for me, the problem of us actually teaching our children how to go and explore their ideas, something I feel passionately about mm. in a safe way is my problem to solve. Interestingly, my last startup that caused those issues was a conveyancing startup where I was trying to replace conveyancing lawyers with an AI. Right. There was no intelligence in conveyancing to artificialize, so it failed. <laughs> right. But I'd actually put my money on the line. You know, I thought it was the big one. I thought it was all the exits and VCs and being on the front page of TechCrunch for changing the industry. But it wasn't my problem to solve. Right. I'm not a conveyancer. I didn't have the experience in conveyancing. It was actually my co-founder who said, look, you know, Hugo, you can go and do any idea. Mm. I've been doing conveyancing for 25 years. This is, this is the thing that I can focus on solving. And she was absolutely right, is that I'd gone in and I'd chosen a problem right. that I solved. There's a big problem for the industry and something I desperately want solved. But actually, once it came to those pains that it caused in going through that startup journey, I realized that it was it was something that wasn't actually my problem. Hmm. Oh, wonderful. So tell us a bit more then about startup Sherpas. You know, you, who's it for? So who do you help and how do you help them? We help teenagers learn how to bring their ideas to life. Oh. And we do that really simply because we believe that they're going to inherit a set of problems that are super hard to solve. Climate change, social mobility and equality. And, and actually all of those problems require ecosystem innovation or systems thinking innovation. Mm -hmm. And that means you actually need everybody who's involved in those projects, whether they're the innovation team or not, to be able to understand how to make change and what's needed and be speaking the same language to accelerate the pace of change. And so the way we do that is twofold. We um, get them to do startups and our startup program will take them on a year long journey where they're quitting every two weeks. We also teach them laziness on that journey. So um, turns out teenagers love one of your values being that they should be more lazy. They don't get told that enough. <laughs> um, we do frame it as smart laziness to distinguish it from simply not doing anything. Right. Um, and, and then they can actually uh, go and explore any idea that they have. And we're starting some uh, programs later this year to create beauty startups and cybersecurity startups. So we've got opportunities for them to create sort of startups within a cohort of other people doing similar things or just to go on their own journey. Right. And then the second thing we do is we do paid work experience programs with them where they work on actual innovation challenges that have been set by our corporate partners. So we're working with LNER on the future of trains. Right. So in a world where autonomous cars are coming along and you've got different modes of transport and personalized transport coming through, where do the trains fit in, which I think will be a fascinating project. The real key is that we pay teenagers to participate. We had a lovely piece of insight that the pool of teenagers who see themselves as entrepreneurs is tiny compared to the pool of teenagers who want cash. <laughs> right. Super simple. <laughs> yep. Turns out teenagers want cash. 
And what we found is as soon as we engage teenagers in those paid work experience programs, a few things happen. One is it drives diversity into the pipeline of teenagers who are participating, which links back to what we were talking about previously of wanting to get as many diverse teenagers involved as possible. Yeah. And the second thing is that then when they discover this work, they love it. Mm. Because innovation is inherently a fun thing to do. And we also, you know, we pay them to go for a walk. We call it a wonder ponder. Right. So when they're reflecting on the feedback they've heard when they go out and do research, they have to go for a half an hour wonder ponder. And we get most questions from the teenagers about this. Um, so you're going to pay me to go and walk without my mobile for 25 minutes. Hmm. Yep, 100%. And that blows their mind. Right. Because that's the opposite of working, right? Going yeah. for a walk. <laughs> yeah. So um, what then happens is there's a 5x increase in them going on to our startup programs. So what we saw was that actually once they find the work, they get engaged, they get involved, and then they go, aha, I've got my own ideas as well. Right. And they, they move on to that program. Mm -hmm. So it's actually been a real driver for our whole kind of breadth of programs. And then what happens is when we get students who are bouncing from paid work experience through to doing startups, they're actually getting this amplification of going through the same process. We always teach the same process over and over again, mm. and they become experts at it. Right. So we get people like Rakiba, who has now done work experience with uh, Save the Children, with Sky, De Beers, Green King, What If. Right. She's done startups ranging from her own sneaker company through to Nigerian fusion cookies. <laughs> okay. And that's all been captured on her startup CV. And she's right. 16. Wow. And when you meet Rakiba, you'll think a few things. One is, oh my God, this 16 year old is more competent, more work experienced and more a better candidate. Right. Than probably some mid-level people that I've been interviewing. Mm. And the second thing I think is, where does that confidence come from? Right. And it's coming from inside because what we found is that whilst our, our 16 by 16 program is called that because we had an ambition to teach teenagers how to create their own personal revenue of £16,000 by the time they're 16. And the idea is to give them financial freedom to go and pursue their ideas. Right. Whilst that's a great financial target, the real gold mine is the increase in their confidence, mm. their ability to communicate their ideas, the articulation of those ideas. And that just completely changes the game for them. Yeah. So when we add all of those pieces together, you know, we're going to create a sort of ninja army of innovators who can go and infiltrate the world and make change happen quicker. That's the plan. Wow. I mean, just reflecting back on my uh, my time as that sort of teenage years and going into that sort of end of GCSEs, A-levels, going off to think about university. One, I didn't have a clue <laughs> what I wanted to do. And two, I had no experience. Uh, and so having that ability to go and say, ah, this is what it feels like to be in an organization but also this is this is a process that i can take to my next opportunity to my next job to my next challenge and it's worked for me here there's no reason it won't work for me going forward and i think that as you say the confidence that that can build and the quality of candidates even for university applications for um whether they be uh, apprenticeships or just going straight into to jobs at, at 16, I'm sure there'll be some amazing um, 
candidates just from from that experience alone absolutely the the things that they experience when they go through our, our work experience program are not just how to do the job but they're experiencing onboarding mm. you know they have to actually provide their id documents right they have to fill in the forms for the council employment forms they get the parents to go and do that so they're managing their parents and then they're going in the part of the team so they're also having to meet new team members get onboarded as part of a, a wider group mm. some of them are going on to be our squad leaders so they're then managing other teenagers mm. so you know rakibat's also managed 100 teenagers so actually in terms of a kind of man management role that in itself is quite ludicrous yeah um and and because of all of that, they're then kind of going and getting their first paycheck. Mm. So they're also experiencing the benefit of working. Mm. And for some of the teenagers that we've met who come from you know, difficult socioeconomic backgrounds, that's a real breakthrough. Mm. That link between work and a reward for work is not necessarily something that's always there. And as we actually see, kind of you go more and more to the edges, what we find is one, we find some of our best talent there. And, and secondly, that actually the value of bringing those people into a place where they're confident and have personal confidence to go and kind of pursue their own missions is we think going to be a, an amazing driving force. Mm. And actually the apprenticeships is, is where we're currently focusing our energies because what we see is some of the economic, well, the economics around the university mm. don't really stack up very well at the moment. So for a lot of people, we we had to reflect on our kind of university approach where we're saying, actually, you know, there's a real danger here that we're saying, hey, kind of earn 16K by the time you're 16, be financially free. And part of that is to fund their way through university. And so we want them to have that choice. Mm. But if they haven't got to that point yet, then we don't necessarily think getting in debt is the best thing we should be promoting, quite honestly. Yep. And there are huge opportunities in the apprenticeship space where they are immediately earning and still developing. Okay. And those organizations can be organizations where they can help find themselves, help them flourish and find different pathways uh, forward once they've done that. So we've focused a lot on now integrating with apprenticeship schemes so that we can provide an amazing pipeline of diverse talent that has already got work ready so we believe that if we actually are able to say, hey, you can hire an apprenticeship at 16 mm. and they're good to go in your team. They know how to turn up. They know how to fill in the forms. They know how to look after themselves in a time management way. Yeah. Then suddenly the number of apprenticeships will massively widen because actually as a recruiting manager, suddenly it's like, so I've got a really cost effective way of building my team right. without the overhead of having to sort of put 50% of my time down to, you know, this is how to actually show up in a, in a work environment. Hmm. Is that, that in itself, we're hoping it will be really powerful. Uh, I was listening to, um, listen to you on another podcast, a good friend of ours, uh, old Jens Heitland, yep. uh, the other day, and um, you were saying about the, some of the insights, because of the way you capture a lot of the data, you can provide insights to those apprenticeships and other, other potential employers, for instance, about wonderful things like these sort of people love uh, they're very independent and will always be on do their work on time. 
Um, but these people, yeah, they might need a bit more time management, but actually their ideas are amazing and they're all they're more diverse. So just just some some insights that you can give to those organizations uh, can be amazing, can't they? Yeah, as, as we scale the number of teenagers that we have, and I think the kind of level of those invite, in, insights that we can provide are going to become just hugely powerful for anyone working in early talent to get the right mix of characters into their organization. Because, yeah, you know, we're tracking everything through our platform and we break down work. So I'm going to geek out for a minute. So we believe that the future of work is actually codification of work. Right. So people can focus more on achieving the outcome rather than working out how to achieve the outcome. Right. And we think that particularly in creative jobs, there's been a lot of, you know, oh, innovation is like, get some people in a room and get the energy going and put some post-its on the wall. And I love those sessions. Mm. But actually what we've realized is that you can codify the innovation process. That's what's underneath everything we have is a step-by-step method for actually going through that process. And that innovation itself is totally different to agile. Right. And agile has so taken over the world. They're in things that they've got a set destination and they've got this ambiguous sort of across the water journey to get there. Mm. But in innovation, you are in the fog. You might feel physically sick because you don't know whether you're upside down or not and your brain might actually make your body hurt because of it. And so what you need are constraints and lots of them. Right. And that's what you want if you're on the mountain, right? You want that rope so that even if you can't see anything and you're in the middle of a blizzard and there's a crevice on one side, if you hold on to the rope, you've got some safety. Mm. That's why we break everything down into 25-minute time box activities. What that does from an inside point of view is it means that we know which 25 minutes have been completed we can track back to the work that's been uploaded for that 25 minute period. We can tell you the time between that 25 minute period being set and being completed. Right. We can tell you the social interactions related to that 25 minute period of time. We can tell you what questions were asked about that 25 minute period of time. And we can then tell you about the quality of the 25 minute period of time of work. And so when you see that, at that granular level, when you imagine kind of the data set that's being built up with a student who's doing like 24 hours of work experience, and then they repeat that time and time again over their teenage years, and they also do that on their startups, then you start to build up an incredibly deep picture of someone that goes well beyond a CV. Right. And so our, our startup CV that we um, have on the site, which is where you record all your work, mm. is essentially a portfolio of everything you've done in the, the programme. And against that, of course, we can then kind of go and say to companies, well, okay, you know, you really care about lateral thinking. So here are students who are lateral thinkers and these 10 of them are also fascinated by your industry and kind of would like to come and work for you. Why don't you go and talk to them? Wow. Amazing. And just you know, having been on the recruiting and uh, interviewing end and things like that, I don't think I've ever come across any of that level of insight uh, for anyone in the employment world, than mind the the early stage employment year. So, I mean, if that sort of thing can prevail into society in a more of a way, then the, the levels of insights are going to be huge, aren't they, as we move forward? Yeah, I, I think that it's really it's really quite interesting how that can link in more widely. You know, we've got a number of organisations that also say, well, if we're using your platform with teenagers, why don't we also just use it inside our organisation as well? Mm. 
And so we're, we're starting to support some of those conversations about this inside out view. Yeah. And then obviously what's starting to happen is that kind of built out. And I think that there are really exciting potentials for organizations to be able to use those same insights for personal development in the, in the first space. Mm. And then also kind of when you're transferring into other roles, starting to kind of do assessments and yeah, yeah. hopefully the future will be much better personalized uh, careers development. Mm. Wonderful. Um, and I had a question here about, you know, I know that you work with specific industries um, for specific reasons. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Of course. So as part of my master plan that I mentioned, we've got our ninja army that we want to try and infiltrate everywhere to make change happen. And really we thought, well, actually, how do we accelerate that change? Mm. We need to give them superpowers and we need to give them the cheat codes to the game. So if they're really well trained and we can do those two things, then we can make change happen faster. And our thesis is things like climate change need, you need to accelerate the change. And that's yeah. kind of why we're doing it. So, so actually, what are the superpowers? There's really about understanding how the world works. So when you're coming up with an idea as a teenager who doesn't have the experience of the world, if we can give you that framework of how the world works, then you're going to be able to come up with better ideas. And so we said, right, they need to understand how risk is managed because startups and innovation is inherently risky. Yep. They then need to understand how money works. They need to understand how things are made and how they get to people. And we broke that down into food and fashion as lenses that would be resonating well with teenagers for that. Mm. And then you need to know how to amplify your voice. And then you need to know how to do partnerships. And if you can do those five things, then you've got some amazing superpowers. Right. And so, you know, last year we started working with the insurance industry and are continuing that work this year. So kind of insurance and law are really the two industries that relate to, to that kind of risk space. Yeah. And then we've obviously got financial services related to how money works. And then let's say kind of the food and fashion industry. And, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. We've got Beauty 16 by 16 coming up in, um, in the spring uh, with our partnership with the City of Leeds. And... That's going to be, I think, a really interesting first insight into bringing some of those superpowers into the startup space as well. Mm. Um, and people keep saying, you know, oh, technology is not in the superpowers. Um, you know, what, what about technology? And you know, for me, the technology is so fundamental that actually it needs to be built into everything. We're, we're currently um, working on a project to build AI generative tools into the process. Right. So we realized, I mean, I played with chat GTP over Christmas. I kind of went, well, actually, immediately, you know, there's about 10% of students who really struggle to come up with new ideas. Mm. That's kind of just not the way their brain works. They can take something and they can develop it really well. Right. But that starter, they, they really struggle with it. So having um, just played with kind of idea generation with ChatGTP immediately, that helps that set of students. But then as we go and develop prototypes and landing pages, it just again is about providing those cheat codes. Mm. And so for me, the technology aspect is on the cheat code side, right? It's like, right. if you need to write an article, you can write it now in two minutes by asking this machine to write it. Right. And it's amazing. Mm. Uh, and that, I mean, is just going to accelerate and accelerate. And in the startup space, I think it's going to be one of the most fundamental skills mm. that the teenagers of today need to be learning. Yeah. Oh, 
wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Uh, we could talk about this for, for days and hours, I'm sure. But um, uh, I'd like to just explore a little bit more about, about you and your performance. Who um, do you go to? Who do you uh, talk to? How do you help your own performance? What do you do to sharpen your saw? I'm very lucky that I have a team around me that really help me develop my performance. So I go and I actually see a hypnotherapist um, once or twice a month, an amazing, um, so my wife's also a hypnotherapist, uh, but this, um, this is kind of a way for me to reflect, I suppose, on all the things that I'm feeling inside, right? Because the startup journey is a hugely emotional roller coaster of, of a journey. You're stressed about money, you're stressed about relationships, you're stressed about how quickly you're going to go, how slowly you're going to go. And pretty much every day you've got something. So I, I focus a lot on making sure I kind of have that, um, that kind of balance. And then uh, there's a guy called Jindy Man who... Um, created something called Circles, which is a men's group that uh, I joined. And, and that, again, has been fascinating. So a lot of what I do is very focused on the personal development side. Mm. I do have also uh, some business coaching, particularly as we go through this next phase where I haven't had as much direct experience. I'm trying to build up a set of people around who have been there who can give some guidance. And... So one of the things I try and do is always ask for help and try and kind of create a list of, you know, what help do I need that I'm not asking for? Right. And then I try and spend as much time as possible getting endorphins into my body. Um, so going for the gym, walking on a beautiful sunny day, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, in the summer, you'll often see that most of my strategy sessions are done either climbing a tree, walking in a woods, just spending most of my time outside and trying not to be at a computer as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so I, I think actually it's really, really critical. There's something that we teach on the program is that you know, mostly a startup journey is a vehicle for self-exploration mm. and all of the challenges that come with that. So the kind of performance aspect has to be, in my mind, actually managing that constant journey that I'm on. Mm. You know, I can't kind of get off the roller coaster because it's my life. Right. Uh, so it has to be actually how do I make sure that I max out all the good stuff right oh lovely and I think it's, a, it's just a great reminder for for everyone about one being conscious of your energy and you know it, particularly in the, the early stages and if you're helping people you've got to have enough energy to help yourself first before you help the others they'll put your own oxygen mask on before helping others uh, perspective but um it's a, I always ask that question because it's fascinating how people go about that and the different approaches that work for different people. Um, but the importance is still there, isn't it, to uh, to focus on your own energy and your own um, mental health and your own um, uh, support network that goes along with that. Yeah, 100%. Wonderful. And that probably relates back to the type of brain that you have and mm -hmm. mine definitely needing quite a lot of support structures around it to uh, make sure I can work at my performance is probably also why I focus so much on trying to systemize everything right. rather than kind of give every, give energy to everything. It's like, is this repeatable? Can it be something that we can create a sort of set play around so that I know that, you know, in my day, if I have lower energy, I can still complete the stuff that needs to be done. Right. Also, superhuman email has completely changed my life. It's awesome. 
Right. No association. Just <laughs> <either>. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to have a look at, make a note of that actually and have a, a look at that off the yeah, back of this. Great. Um, and slightly different question now. If you were able to help any individual team or organisation with the skill set that you've got, who might you want that to be? I think I'd really like to help a, a charity like Save the Children on the impact side rather than on the fundraising side. Okay. So we see so many challenges that are outside of our domain as we kind of go into the world, you kind of start to realize that there are other problems that need to be solved. And I'd certainly like to help those people uh, with those challenges. And we're lucky, we've done some work with Save the Children, so we've kind of got a good view of what they've been doing. But I think that's definitely one uh, that I see because you know, some of the challenges that we see in schools of kids not having food, right. of some of the um, home situations that they're in and the social situations that the schools are having to deal with um, are, I mean, they certainly affect all of that energy stuff we were just talking about, you know, they're, yeah. they're really emotional subjects. And so whilst we're loving what we're doing, um, there are some big other challenges that need to be faced into as well. Mm. Lovely. Um, and if we were to flip that on its head a little bit and say, if you were able to sit down, have a have a coffee, have a drink, have a meal with anyone in order to learn from them and up your own performance, who might you want that to be? So I'm torn here between Andrew Stamets and, and um, sorry, Paul Stamets and Andrew Tate. When I say Paul Tate, um, not Paul Tate. Andrew Tate for a specific reason. I despise him, to be clear, and everything that he's done. Um, but I'm also deeply, deeply jealous of the quality of his content. It's right. vile, mm. but it's vile and hugely effective right. at targeting teenagers, particularly teenage boys. Mm. And he's selling something very similar to us. You know, the Hustler University ostensibly is startup Sherpas. Right. The fact that his fast cars are coming from him, you know, raping and videoing women uh, and not actually from producing high quality educational content is slightly secondary because his marketing content is phenomenal. Um, It's a problem that I want to solve in the world is, you know, how do we stop the next one of those affecting our teenagers? Mm -hmm. I'm also deeply personally jealous of the quality, the consistency, everything about his operation. I think is actually showing signs of excellence. It's mm. just very, very misused. Right. And so that's balanced mm. with Paul Stamets, who has been a pioneer in fungi and mushrooms and is just an amateur scientist in today's age where all of the scientists kind of worship him. And he's got such insight, I think, from his journey. And he's built a whole business and a commercial element in a very kind of traditionally, I think, quite a hippie space. I think there's some really, really fascinating insights that he could bring. And also, I just hero worship him. <laughs> well, if he's listening today, then uh, then hook up with with Hugo, and I'm sure you, you guys would uh, enjoy a, a drink and a, and a couple of mushrooms together and see what's yeah. what. <laughs> um, which brings us on to how do people find out more? How do people get in touch with you? How do they get in touch with Startup Sherpas? And who should be getting in touch, particularly from a Startup Sherpa's perspective? So 
Startup Sherpas is at startupsherpas.org. Yep. You can go to the website, which is almost always not up to date, uh, but we'll have a link where you can sign up, uh, or rather your teenagers can sign up to uh, be on the waiting list for paperwork experience. And the other thing we need is more opportunities for teenagers. So people who want to support that mission, uh, I'm always uh, open to those conversations and I'm available on LinkedIn, Hugo Pickford Wardle. Very luckily, quite easy to find on LinkedIn. <laughs> We're also connected, so it should be easy to hunt me down. Yep. LinkedIn is my channel that I use most. Right. Uh, so those are probably the two best ways for us to connect for anyone who wants to have a conversation. What I would say for any parents who want their teenagers to take part is, unfortunately, you are probably the person with least opportunity to influence your teenager to do what you want them to do. So casually leaving the website address and sort of a point to cash uh, around might be the, the best route through or to persuade one of their friends to do it, right. who then tells them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And it, just out of interest, is there a geographical limit? Is there what and what age range from a teenage perspective? So we uh, work with teenagers from 13 through to the beginning of career, you know, 13 to 18 in most of our projects at the moment. And we uh, have projects for teenagers across the UK. Uh, this year, we're also going to be doing some European squads, some US squads. So um, really, there's there's quite a wide um, spread of where we want teenagers coming from. At the moment, most of our projects are in the UK, right. uh, but there are also a few opportunities to come up in those other places. Well, I mean, I know I've talked to uh, a couple of people who's uh, and a couple of teenagers who, once I've started mentioning this, their eyes lit up and like, give me some of that. Uh, and I know a lot of parents who I've spoken to have, have been like, I'd love for my children to get onto that as well. Um, so I would actively encourage anybody out there to, to get involved in whatever way you can. Uh, get in touch with Hugo. Uh, drop me a line if you want me to connect as uh, you guys as well. So um, we could talk for hours on this, but uh, Hugo, as always, an absolute pleasure talking with you and keep up the amazing work that you guys are doing at Startup Sherpas. Pleasure talking with you too. Thank you so much for having me on. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.